the uh, fourth foundation of mindfulness, the patterns of experience, effects, uh, effects that uh, and the responses, reactions that hinder us, hinder the mind's awakening, hinder clarity, and those that are um, clarifying, skillful. So we need to get uh, an, an intellectual understanding and then also an experiential hold on these. And I think it's um, you know, to understand what a hindrance actually actually is, because we can um, judge many things as as hindrances, um, and we're trying to uh, wipe out these traces, and we may judge things as not as hindrances. And allow them to persist. We may not recognize um, skillful factors, enlightenment factors, and thereby not encourage and enhance them. Now, hindrance is something that occurs that um, has an effect on on blocking the mar- blocking our energy, blocking our responsiveness either in sense of either numbing it, whereby we become more uh, paralyzed, we go through these endless loops of thought and feeling that don't actually uh, come to any clear conclusion. Or we get so energized, we get overwhelmed, we're unable to steer. So you get a powerful surge of of mood, feeling, um, energy tone, and we're not able to steer in that or be clear about that. This is when it hinders. And it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, we're in contact with the whole flow of, of events, external events or internal events, but there's an event flow which is, which is you know, what's happening, the climate, the weather, the body's pains and pleasures and so on, um, interactions with people and, and this kind of thing going on. And some of that's pleasant, some of it's unpleasant, some of it we understand, some of it we don't understand, some of it we have to plan for and think about, some of it we don't have to plan for and think about, or we can't. There's a whole range of responses that uh, are appropriate to in, in terms of the way of external events. Um, external events, of course, are never that which our sense of self can really accurately feel it's, it's encompassed because they're external events. You know, the, the universe is a lot bigger than me. Um, so, you know, so we can never really, we have to just be on, on watchful and able to respond. Now, when one hasn't been watchful, able to respond, then we get, we make mistakes, we get upset, we get confused, we get frightened, we get lost. We misread things, 
Um, so this basic delusion over the nature of external events means that particular patterns get established in terms of external events, say the, you know, the rapaciousness or the, uh, the consuming quality or the fearfulness, the reluctance, the uncertainty about touching, tasting, feeling, experiencing things. Um, the depression or dispiritness that can occur, you know, this is all difficult, it's painful, you can't, it's a failure and so forth. Or a kind of um, sense of of dissociation from it. Why bother with it? Uh, I can't handle this. They're sort of checking out, spacing out, like a, which is, is a, something to do with the dullness. The mind gets dull, un, unresponsive, or goes into this doubt state, which is a sense of uh, uncertainty, incapacity to to get clear about what's going on. So. With these two hindrances, or <clears throat> it means there's a sense of disengagement um, energetically, you know, which is a more the dullness uh, sense of it. One just kind of flops back when it's only half here. One is kind of this isn't necessarily sleepiness. <coughs> it means automatic behaviour, half listening, um, not really with it. And doubt is that is not just an uh, inability to have information, but a sense of a loss of clear contact. So uh, we just don't really know. Um, you know we're, not, we're not fully attuned to, to experience as it occurs. And these kind of things, these patterns get established because experience is always something that as, as sentient beings is, is, is bigger than us. You know, we we come out into this world, and there's this vastness, um, and then there's a lot of um, it becomes something that our our personality, our sense of self, doesn't always isn't always able to feel confident about or clear about. Particularly when you're in complex social situations where there's a lot of stuff that is not just uh, you have to learn how to do it. You don't, you can't just know it through your body. You get sort of social conditioning. A lot of getting it wrong, and a lot of blame or or ridicule or uh, failure on that level. Just just from more from the the complexity of other humans, someone often can get established in this sense of relationship with other humans as being something that always brings up a, a sense of temerity or anxiety or frustration or uh, doubt. Someone is kind of trying to get to somebody or feel something or connect to something or hanging back, well, I don't think I can do this. Doubt about oneself, loss of confidence in the presence of other people. Or feeling always one's the odd one out, which is a theme I often bring up because it it can be something that each and every one of us feels. Everybody else is there, but I'm the odd one out. And we can all put reasons for that. You know, I'm the newcomer. I'm the, the um, you know, the foreigner, or I don't, I'm the layperson, or I'm the junior, or I'm the senior, or I'm the, you know, this, that, and the other. And the, it's, and we always assume everybody else isn't the odd one out. <laughs> but it's probably something that, depending on certain situations, we can all feel. 
We don't necessarily feel it all the time, but some things will bring it up for us. It's part, it's, it's recognizing that these, these jitter effects, these heart effects, these mood effects are, un, are inconstant. That is, you can have a sense of yourself, which is quite different when you're on your own, or with, with a friend, or with two people, or working. And that sense is very different with you with ten people, or with a group of men, or with a mixed group, or with a group of women, or in a situation which is more formally prescribed, or when it's quiet. Very different senses of, of how one reads or feels oneself in that situation. And this gives us a, a good understanding of, of the, the hindrance patterning it's not exact, it's, it's kind of triggered by external conditions. And, or the particularly the gestalt of that, the whole picture of that, the meaning of it. Mm. So it's not that, it's not exactly I am this kind of a person, you know, I'm a rage person or I'm a, I'm a worry person, but particular things can bring up that. Because it changes and is inconstant. One does recognize it more clear, if one's clear about that. More constant, more as a sign of, of it's not self. But of course, we tend to not recognize the hindrance when it, the absence of a hindrance when it's not there. Don't think, well, here I am not worrying again. <laughs> you think, oh, here I am worrying again, but not here I am not worrying. No, all morning I didn't worry at all. You know, or, or when one was walking in the woods one wasn't worrying. Or when one was sitting by the fire one wasn't worrying. But then when one was in an office one was worrying. You know, because those situations bring up different, they mean different things to us, don't they? They mean something, you know, office situation may think in terms of things have got to be certain, sorted out urgently, quickly, it's important. The fine criteria, if it doesn't, you don't get it right, there's a problem going to occur which you don't feel when you walk in the woods. So, you know, the initial patterning can be from external sources. That is, uh, you know, praise, blame, gain, loss, and similar things of that nature. Worldly winds buffeting us around. So that whenever we go to back to it, something that reminds us of that, or reminds our system of that, you know, then that comes up again. Sometimes it's accurate, and sometimes it's not accurate. So you can't, or you can't say, "Oh well, you know, never worry," you know, or, or anything like that. Or because some some things, it's not exactly a sense of worrying, but some things are precarious, have to be considered carefully. You know, they are uncertain. Or, or, you know, and the uncertainty is, uh, is difficult for us. So just to dismiss it, every, everything of that nature or hindrance, you know, you know, or, or when ch- some external events are things that require challenging and checking and saying, no, this isn't correct. So just to say, well, whatever, let go, go along with it, isn't correct. But then to think that you know everything, so you get a kind of a frustration or 
irritation experience or feel mistrustful as a blanket. So it's 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 not a simple thing. And we can when we try to simplify, then we can do ourselves a, an injustice of, of actually cancelling out the mindfulness factor and the wisdom factors. And saying, hey, you know, this is there's something there's a good reason to be frightened now. <laughs> it's not just this is all in your mind, you know. So this, this is uh, something to be alarmed about. There's a source of concern. Be on your guard. And that, that's wisdom and mindfulness. But to be carrying that around all day long, unless you're in a battlefield, is, um, you know, then we say, ah, that, no, this is a hindrance, isn't it? Um, and we can't, so we can't necessarily judge purely by external situations or purely by internal responses. Sometimes, you know, something, you know, there is a need, there is a sense of, well, let's move forward. So you can't say all moving forward is greed and ambition and so and so and so and so like that, or being in a hurry or becoming or that nature. And sometimes moving forward in, in a, in a hasty way is just, you know, reckless, greedy, impulsive. So you can't exactly, you know, know it by, either external situation or even internal responses per se, but recognizing when the internal response hinders, that the quality of a hindrance primarily is not that it's something that's uh, arousing or passionate or engages the mind or brings up particular moods and feelings, but whether it actually hinders one from response, from mindfulness, from discernment from energy. Mm. So it becomes a hindrance when we just get locked into it and unable to, to follow up those the initial signs. So it can you know, so you know we, we, we may get into just a, a worry pattern for example, whereby there is something that, that uh, you know um, could be made clear, could be settled, could be yes, no, you know, right, wrong. Uh, a more stable position could be established. And then we think, oh, I'm, I'm worrying, fretting, I'm bothering. So we, we block that. And, and then the worry still continues, nagging away. So then the sense of, of um, you know, trying to, to stabilize something or establish something or finish something or get something clear. You say, oh, this is just worry and doubt, forget about it. We can be, be negating our mindfulness faculty or our, or our discernment faculty. Some things require that kind of, uh, of mental effect. And if we don't respond to it, we can actually then go into the hindrance of uh, doubt, uh, loss of clear contact with what we're doing, um, and uh, irritation, uh, ill will towards ourselves, and then still the doubt going, are the worries still going on? So you get a whole complex of these things. Mm. So... 
you know, and then when it's with uh, people and events and so forth, sometimes you know, it's true, this person is doing something incorrect, and that's true. Uh, so then you sense of this is something to be checked. And then again, it can be, that doesn't mean everything you know, is, is untrue or, or that nothing is, but just specifically this particular thing. So you know, that, that requires discernment isn't it? and mindfulness. So just be aware of how one can look for, for simplistic or blanket solutions to, to the mind's movements. Some of the mind's movements are the workings of, of, en- of wisdom and energy or compassion. So every time you get some sort of compassionate movement, you think, oh, this is me worrying. <laughs> you know, every time you feel equanimous, you think, oh, this is me being dull. Sometimes there's just nothing to really think about. So we can't judge it purely externally or purely on whether the mind is moving or not, then we have to be the mindfulness and investigation of states, faculties, have to engage more completely with their experience. This is, of course, precarious, isn't it? Because so often when, when we get some kind of hindrance experience coming, there's a really, oh no, some sort of wanting to move away from it, because we may very well feel when you go into that and you get spun out and snarled up and thinking, and oh goodness, we that, that all morning, all afternoon, all day, all the rest of the retreat. So we don't want to actually get that, that much contact with that. So all this acts as a, um, makes it makes the, makes the process uh, difficult. <clears throat> when we tr- try to handle hindrance, I would suggest is primarily trying to handle or get in touch with the energy involved with that. So I find an energetic reference is a useful one rather than a conceptual reference. Conceptually, every movement seems wrong. When you get into one of those kind of attitudes, you get into, you know, only unconditioned serenity is it. Everything else, every movement of your mind is something going wrong. You know, attachment. And sometimes the, the, that mood brings up particular topics that there are the maybe taints in there, elements of that. But if we dis, if we let go of the topic, go to the, the mood, then we may find, yeah, well, once you let go of the topic, you can see, yeah, well, there was this and that, you know, there was some um, aversion along with the worry or guilt or whatever, but you know, you just get down to the, to that sense of agitation and disturbance. And when you let go of the topics, often the, the pattern will tend to 
be more unified. Because when you get a topic or a perception, the mind it often brings up a, a, a range of, of responses. You know, some sense of, oh, I don't want this to be happening, and some sense of, well, I've got to sort this out, it's my duty, and some sense of, of uh, but this shouldn't be this way, and so on. You get kind of three or four takes on it. Or, well, I'm only like this person, I can't, it's not my job. So you get all kinds of kind of toing and froings on that. You get down to the basic sense of disturbed, you know, agitation and disturbance around that. And uh, more one can unfold the feeling, you know, of this shouldn't be happening, or it's me, or I got a, I'm attached, or these kinds of uh, things that tend to make us disempower us in a way. And these, are, of course, are some of the effects of of external conditioning, what, what one learns in social contexts. You know, to to do. We come to the dis- we get more clear about the sense of disturbance and. and it, it's strange that when one begins to clear away some of the more, um, you know, self voices about what I should and shouldn't, the, the very, dis- the very disturbance may be, we may experience the quality as rather different from what we imagined. We imagined we were angry, we were actually really, we were just very sad or unhappy. But the whole complex of responses to that, you know, we may be extremely disappointed or saddened, but because of the, of the, uh, well, it's all right and I shouldn't mind and da 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 going on, the, 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 the appearance is fine, say, of, of, of anger, irritation. It can be like that. When you strip it down, you come down to just the sense of, of, uh, disappointment or sadness. It could be something like that. Or irritation with oneself. So being able to, to differentiate how, um, you know, to get to the core of the, the real leading edge or the sustaining energy of a hindrance involves, first of all, letting go of the topic, the particular storyline, and then the what I should do line, and then what I should be line, until <laughs> we come to something more primary. And of course, all the sense of oh, no, we shouldn't be here kind of thing. That requires mindfulness, discernment, and investigation to be able to do that. But it does, in that in that process, bring around a much stronger energizing of the spiritual faculties. One does feel more balanced, more in touch. Well, that's a good sign. When it goes like that, this is a good sign. If it's not going like that, it's time to, to, you know, check again what one's doing. If it's getting more complex and agitated, then the process is not in line, not going correctly. So, of course, 
you know, with any hindrance, there's a certain amount of shuttling to and fro when we're dealing with the disturbances of the mind. One of the primary shuttling would be to go back to a place where we do feel uh, uh, we can we can gather ourselves, such as the breath, the body, the metta bhavana, the refuges, the precepts, you know, things where we can reflect, gather our attention into a wholesome place, feel steady and stable, reliable. Then we can shuttle back again. You know, so that the more one can actually come from a strong place, a pure place, and touch the edge of the disturbance. And, and unfold these layers, peel off these layers of it. It's rather like that. That's why these, um, this, you know, hindrances maybe, maybe occurrences that occur, you know, only for ten minutes or so or whatever it is, but, but actually, um, working, th- when working through them is a process of, of many years. Because of the, the, the layering of that, the sense of distaste that can occur around being disturbed, the sense even if you're into meditation and contemplation, the sense of, of guilt and failure that can occur over being disturbed. You know, I'm supposed to be serene or so forth. Um, you know, so takes, working through these layers of, of ill will, doubt, um, you know, unwillingness, lethargic attitudes around around that that cluster around disturbance, till we come to something much more, more primary. Now, any of those layers is is useful to to unfold. <coughs> So any degree of, 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 of unfolding is always, um, has, a, has an overall effect. Of course, the unfolding of the, the what I should be experience, the, or that sense of mistrust in one's own immediate kind of cutting off and um, severance from one's experience. So it didn't really happen. Didn't really happen. Go somewhere else. You know, <laughs> that just, just getting past that one can be, take quite a while. Because um, certainly, you know, I think myself, one would just like not to be bothered, really, not be disturbed at all, as quickly as possible. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, how many times you have to get a stick poked into your cage and prodded before you think, you know, oh, this is where we are. We're in, we're in, you know, we're in, a, we're in Prodsville, where you continue something always kind of winding you out or poking you, you want to just get down in the straw and curl up and all heave. <laughs> Be warm. Warm and fed. <laughs> so then just rather than thinking, oh, terrible, 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 <coughs> disaster, calamity, oh, this is where we are. You know, it's not always like that, hopefully. It doesn't, but with that, you know, it doesn't mean, right, now sort it out. It means, no, just, just, just be willing to, to not, you know, feel that, that flush of, of irritation, fear, disappointment, the, 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 the disturbance. It doesn't mean 
Now, sort it out, get to the answer. It means just unfold that layer so one can be in the presence, perhaps, of disturbance in a more, you know, full and steady way. So with that, the, the pacing of it, it's like taking it, you know, making sure one does unfold each each layer as it appears. Well, depending on what, maybe that one doesn't appear for you. Maybe you're quite happy to be disturbed and, you know, it's fine or whatever. So just going through the, each way as it appears and without trying to jump, you know, over that. You see what I mean? So we may, th- we may think that as soon as we experience a disturbance and we open to that, we've got to find the answer to it. Not necessarily so. Maybe things will sort themselves out. Maybe. But we can't, we can't, you know, jump start the process. So that, as one does become more aware of the of disturbance in this, in this existence, then the I am should fix it, should sort it, should get away from it, or should forget about it. We get into particular responses which run in basically in subtler ways of either counterattack, block, run away, um, or faint. (laughs) 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 Just pass out. (laughs) I'll go somewhere else while I'm unconscious. So... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can do, I can recognise all of those things. The counterattack, <laughs> slam it, or the the block it. You just kind of go rigid, and then run away, and then just kind of faint, go to sleep, hope it'll work itself out in in the meantime. Yeah. And so one of the so the. the you know, often simply this comes up as either fix it, forget it, uh, or or dismiss or dismiss it. It's your problem, you know, or that's the way life is, or that kind of is dismiss it, fix it, <laughs> or forget about it. But then, what if we? See, those very responses are also, they are manifestations of, of, of they're, not, they're not manifestations of enlightenment factors manif- or, or, or skillful indriyas. They're, the, they're things that do um, hinder clarity, spaciousness, responsiveness, uh, compassion, hinder the harmony, internal and external. So just being able to un- unfold that, relieve, relax those things. If we can do, if we can do these kind of processes, it means that our, our mindfulness and investigation faculties, our confidence, our energy is fairly well tuned. Mm. It means that we, you know, whereas if you just kind of find yourself overwhelmed or into a panic or a compulsive or impulsive responses, the likelihood is they're not well tuned. Just giving it the time and space and being able to, to, to work at a pace where one takes one's mindfulness and clarity with one rather than leaves it behind. And it's, so that shuttling, maybe the one, that's, that's as far as one can go, just to that place where, you know, one is aware there is the disturbance, um, 
And I'm not going to just go into one of these fight or flight or faint (laughs) patterns. And then perhaps that's it. Maybe part of the, um, the beauty of it, of, of handling these things, is to recognize that, that, that at a certain level, the shift just happens. You don't do it. You just find a place where you, where you are with that, with the enlightenment factors present, and the disturbance unfolds itself. You know, and in that unfolding, and after the unfolding, it's like an energetic shift from being in a tight, besieged or defensive position into oh, when it, that something opens, the shift happens. And it seems that at that place when a shift happens, that the energy of the hindrance, which was sort of tight, compulsive, speeding along, opens up and the, the, the energy is then released into the whole field of awareness. So you get a sense of a unification rather than a you know, hindrance or disturbance experience and a kind of and a reaction to that, you get a unification. And then, I, I would suggest, or contemplating myself, then, then the understanding comes. Oh, oh, well, this is what you do. Or, oh, it's just one of those. Or, oh, oh, right. You know, poof, it sort of, it can drop. One either gets a, a sense of there's a particular action that's required or, or no action is required, but it becomes clear and in a way, just like an apple falling off a tree, there's a certain natural you know, gravity to, to the movement. The shift happens. Once the, the, the layering of, that goes on in terms of um, you know, an ex, something external, uh, you know, which can... That means we get the, you know, people like that, the world's like that, situations are like that, we get that kind of blanket impression. Then the layering, which is more internal, I'm like this, I can't do that, I'm not like that, you know, I shouldn't be like this, and so forth. When those things um, pass away, then one comes more, it's then that the field of awareness comes into contact with the hindrance. And then that's the, that's where the, the, um, the enlightenment factors are. So, the, so just bearing in mind that sense of being able to shuttle, and uh, a hindrance will be a hindrance as long as it takes over one sense of time, one sense of rhythm, one sense of space. When one sense of space becomes disappears, so it's it's compulsive, panicking. Uh, tight, compressed, one feels friendless, alone, you know, shut in like that. Then the sense of space has gone. The sense of um, of uh, timing, you know, which is very much like, almost like the rhythm experience now, the time for it to, to get into, there's a certain flow with that, rather than, you know, pressure pushing forward in terms of urgency or, or hanging back in terms of, of dilatoriness. Um, so this is when it's, this is this is when it's 
it's still in the area of, of hindering. And the loss of energy or a trapping of energy. So that one's energy becomes purely the energy of the hindrance. It take hijacks. So one goes into either very kind of uh, uh, fragmented patterning energetically, like restless, dithering, agitated, or a, or a bristling, <laughs> or a, 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 a flattening of one's energy, or dull, depressed. And then the, the hindrance has hijacked her energy. So the first thing perhaps to establish is, you know, what will give a spaciousness, be, perhaps being clear about, you know, conceptually clear at least about the process of, of, of disturbance and, and feeling out of tune. Getting clear about that conceptually, then clearer about that energetically, if you see what I mean. Um, That is some sense of, of free space around that, that experience. And the right understanding of how to deal with it, how to work with that. So the clarity and the spaciousness, um, things we establish rather than the, um, fix it or, you know, that kind of immediate solution idea. Now, admittedly, you know, a good degree of disturbance is just something that um, one more dives beneath, like you know, the kind of noises and sounds and the you know, surface restlessness of life, um, because it's just too much of it to be able to to deal with. Um, so when we meditate. We do take, we do recognize, well, there is a certain sense of, of creating a particular boundary or some screening in order to, to firm up our enlightenment faculties. So we're not just uh, picking up every Twitter and Twitch that can occur. Nor would we be capable of doing so. We wouldn't have enough, uh, dumber there present to be able to deal with it. And just kind of go around like a blue bottle on a window pane of life. But, uh, so a certain amount of it is just the, the static of the sensory realm. You think, yeah, okay, well, you know. Um, but then, so again, with it, with that, the, this, that experience and first being able to have a recognizable meditation object and going to that, Firming it up, and then what? What comes through more repeatedly when one has established a meditation object? This is this is probably in the area of things that need to be more clearly unfolded, um, and there's priority in that as well. Some things we just are, we're not capable, we don't have the resources for yet, um, you know, and my other things, say things that maybe you know to do with perhaps more peripheral or, or global effects, like a feeling of of loneliness or a feeling of mistrust or a feeling of sadness, which may be so such a global tint we don't have the, the clarity to be able to 
immediately deal with that. We deal more with immediate uh, hindrance that occurs um, dependent on here and now externals, you know, such as sense contact, noise, um, um, low energy in the mornings, low energy in the evenings, low energy in the middle of the day, uh, greed and rapaciousness around food, um, reluctance around or laziness, uh, dullness around cleaning and tidying things up and working. So you work more on that level of it. And as one gets more skillful, then perhaps dealing with more, um, you know, one of a better word, deeper. Although I don't really like the idea of depth and shallowness because it has certain values, uh, judgments added to that, but perhaps more global and uh, uh, effects, something that kind of hovers in the background of the mind more continually. As one is able to deal with more, the, surf, the more surface stuff confidently without come, adopting these views of, of, oh, don't worry about it, and da, 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 you know, being clearly able to handle it, then one gains the skills to be able to enter into all the kind of global experience of one's vipaka, of things we've inherited. Our sense of feeling out of touch or out of sync with the world, or feeling the world is a continual battle or struggle, or the world should be giving me something. You know, sort of the need patterns, the fear patterns, the the um, uh, lostness of it all, which can be um, there for us, and perhaps for many people to become summoners or or, or deeply interested in meditation because of those patterns. I mean, you know, it's not because life is just swinging along so fine and dandy that one decides to take up Buddhist meditation. <laughs> you know, so the, the, but these things take, uh, you know, one does have the skills to be able to unfold them. But as we get more skillful, then it's like, you know, something use that refrain, what am I leaving out? You know, to be able to draw in from the periphery a kind of hov- hovering mood tone in the background that one is often doing things in order to get away from that. So even our meditation can be like that, you know, five o'clock walk, six o'clock sit, seven o'clock chop the wood, eight o'clock drink tea, nine o'clock walk, and, you know, say, do the next thing, do the next thing, do... What am I doing? What am I, what am I doing? What am I doing all the time? And then, the sense, what if you stop doing things? Funny, funny, sort of funny. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so the global effect is is at first just not very clear. It's funny. It doesn't feel right. It should be. Should be doing something more diligently, or not right, or feel funny. Okay. Anything more? Anything more about that? You just stay with it a bit longer. These things kind of gradually come up, rather like developing film or you know, developing a photograph. You put the the, the thing into the, into the bath, and, and gradually the picture sharpens and clarifies out of it. So similarly, with these global tints, you know, you just put them there in the in the fluid of non-doing, <laughs> and see. See these the outlines start to come up out of the out of the blur of it, uh, you know, which is the, you know the more subtler 
but more continual prod through the bars as well, <laughs> of, uh, of uh, you know our, our fearfulness or our uh, our sense of loss or our sense of uh, loneliness or need for approval these kind of things they're difficult to articulate because when one speaks them out at that particular this particular level it always sounds grosser and more um, immature than it really is Um, contemplate or just realize from the sense of the, the totality of what, what's happening or experience that you're having or that's occurring now. Experience that we call my, myself or my world today. What is today for any of us? What's the weather of our life today? Sometimes it's when you actually get that realization. Perhaps when you when you stop or put down or relinquish the the activity of meditation for after some period of time, after practicing focusing on objects, working with things, steadying the mind, steadying attention. Uh, bringing up and clarifying the uprightness of, of attention, uprightness of attitude, uprightness of intention, and then begin to then one just relinquishes the object. What's this? Where are we? If if there is that sense of, of having confidence in awareness, being aware, one is use these practices to make that one's goal and one's intent and cultivate it. And the moment of letting go is you may recognise something very light and uh, open. Openness, which is an openness that passes through objects, objects don't stick in it. Uh, neither internal nor external. When objects don't, don't stick, and when there's nobody doing anything. And maybe just a few moments, and then there's this call towards some worry or some Fluster, some ripple comes in. What's we doing? And you get the, you see the, the tail of the dog that that hunts you. <laughs> what am I supposed to be doing now? Is it, is what, what, what's happening? 
Or something just kind of glues onto a state. Oh, this, what's this? This is interesting. You know, you get kind of fixated on the state of, of feeling open. Or some idea comes up in the mind. Wonderful idea. Or inspiring mood. Or a kind of restless twitter. Or a sense of, of vertigo and needing something to hold on to. And then you, you go back into the circus again, as it were. That moment of coming out of the out of the circus, out of the big tent, under the sky. Is it ever like that? You realise how much. Even, even it becomes, in a way, more refined and uh, recognisable in meditation. This is, and it's often there are skillful skillful factors. Inside the tent, but how how intense one can get about it all. How one can be chasing thoughts and moods around all day long, like lions through hoops, tumblers and clowns, and getting really, you know, the crowd is roaring and hissing and booing. And <laughs> <laughs> this isn't good enough, and without the next turn, and this that, you know. It's only the circus. <laughs> do we do we feel that that it could actually <coughs> within within what the mind is within within the within the container of the mind we could actually there could be a finding that from seeking there could be a finding that actually rests and is completed. And yet, if there's no seeking, can that can it ever stop? If we're not seeking things in terms of dhamma, then we're seeking things in terms of something to do, something to be, something to occupy ourselves with, something to fantasize on, something to fall asleep into, something to remember, something to plan. So the, you know, these are perhaps the, the best the best circus in town is the is the meditation. Where one does learn the skills, you get the skillful factors present. Well, all of this is is mind wrought, so that the memories and the agitations, yeah, and the hopes and the and the dreads. And the qualities of investigation, and the qualities of devotion, generosity, patience, attention—you know, this is all. This is all mind, isn't it? Some, there's what seems to be the subject. There is doing it, which may be the factors of attention, intention, impression, um, you know, mindfulness, and so forth. Sense of having an aim, it's a quality of application, and then what, the things that we may experience more as objects, which is the sense of the sense imp- the sensed impression of breathing, mm. that 
energetic shifting, rippling, suffusing quality of breathing. And space around that. Occasional flurry of thought. Or the turgidity of, of a hindrance. This is all mind, isn't it? All of this. Your mental experiences, or what you call in the largest sense of the word, the uh, realm of the chitta. Of course, ordinarily we don't really have much of an objective reference to that. Unless maybe you talk to somebody, but then even in the language uh, is, is difficult. We're always talking about, we talk to each other, we talk about something we're experiencing. We can't actually share the experience, we can't actually hold it together. And they say, very skilled, mostly we talk about it, or bits of it, the bits of it that we can talk about. Yeah. But there's always something being left out, isn't there? We talk about a hindrance. We're not always able to articulate what it is that holds that. Uh, or our attitude, or our aim. When we talk about, uh, we have to talk about a quality of, of um, clarity. We don't necessarily recognize the sense of, of inspiration that occurs with that. Or what the body felt like. So when we talk about something, it seems we can generally only get, you know, uh, the mind to articulate what the mind can see. The mind can never really fully articulate itself. So if we use, we use a, a template like the breath or the body, a meditation object, as something that, in a way, Helps to register all these, all this uh, realm. Takes a photograph of it. If you like, it's like a the breath becomes like a photographic plate, you know, in which the mind reveals itself. This is the quality of investigation. This is the quality of thought conception. This is the quality of of aspiration, keenness. This is the, the hindrance in this corner. You know. This is a state, a sense of, of samadhi or collectedness that over, you know, that, that suffuses that. We don't have a reference. It's kind of difficult to really, to really know, fully know the mind because in a way we, we think about the mind or we, one bit of the mind takes a photograph of another bit of the mind, if you like. Very often it's rather like this bird that taps on the window. You know, one bit is pecking away at its reflection. <laughs> Does the mind like that? You know, one, one quality of, it, of, of some intention is keeps pecking away at something it sees there. And it's maybe only the, only the glass that really knows the truth of the matter. So using using the breath, <coughs> breathing, 
process for meditation. So you're able to first just registering the, the whole the whole body impression, what what body is experienced like in and of itself, not as a not as an idea, not as a visual experience, no. not as particular sensations, but the whole uh, embodiment experience, which is based upon or focused around the breathing. Embodiment is that energy of of being in a body, being alive in a bodily sense. So <clears throat> breath energy very much um, expresses that. So in, with Anapanasati we're encouraged to, to um, first of all acknowledge, receive the breath and then... Um, Really focus focus on that until that that we can detect and be with the the energy that goes with breathing, the presence of the that energy with breathing. Then what is what is body? What is actually the here and now of, of, of the body? When there's no ears and no eyes and no hair, it's just that sense of something warm, something essentially. Um, energetic, uh, shifting or shimmering, radiant quality. <coughs> so this entry into samadhi is always um, really valuable for for um, getting a, a full presentation of mind. Because with samadhi, the sense of of um, you know watching or witnessing or focusing itself is taken in, it is subsumed into the into the experience. You don't get the same sense of of uh, you know watching what's going on, as it were. It's more like the very quality of 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 bodily presence is is awake. Is is uh, Aware is attuned. It's like the body and the mind begin to to flow into each other. Mm. In a way, it's obvious because you you know where is the mind? It's sort of two feet above your head, behind your right ear, under the rib cage somewhere. Uh, sometimes it seems to be living under a kneecap, but you know it's somehow it's 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 everywhere. You know, it's it's like it's totally implicit in this sense of of bodily presence. But there's an enormous amount of of abstraction that goes on. Which seems to you know separate us from that. For normal functional reasons we get the, the conceptual overview of where we are what we're doing, who I am yesterday and tomorrow. That's that's something that can that the that mind can do for, and it's has its benefits. Then in, in Samadhi you can take that you can let go of all that. And it is a deep relinquishment. 
the sense of being in charge, being separate, being in control, being guilty. having to get it working, being good at it, being bad at it. So actually registering those uh, inflections as part, in terms of the breath energy, and this is, this is how worrying it's experienced in terms of, of the breath energy. This is how reluctance um, this is how forcefulness uh, experience what what is it what is the sense of presence when it's when there's forcefulness or doubt you know you get it more like a a whole impression of that how one's sense of presence becomes hard edged or driving or becomes frayed and 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 uh, agitated or becomes murky and smoky or muddy or spinning and and difficult to really get any fixed references in it. And with all that, we're just we're breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. And trying to come back to the central presence of upright awareness. Don't doubt it. Don't fondle it. Up, Just upright presence with that. And breathing. Knowing how to use the breathing so one can deepen clarity, strengthen the clarity with that. Come to the immediacy with that, just one breath, or not even a whole breath, just just that moment of breath arising. You come to the, the immediacy, and this is enormously helpful in, in, in um, dissolving that illusion of permanence, which doesn't just mean a year, it means two minutes is, is too long, really. It's not two minutes is still, is still uh, uh, an illusion. One minute is still an illusion. It still gives rise to the sense of there being objects and, and when there's an object there's a subject and when there's a subject and an object there's a quarrel <laughs> this town's too big for the two of us <laughs> too small for the two of us <laughs> but in a pre- in the, just in the moment then you know, there's just the arising Now we may have an idea of what the breath is. You know, it's supposed to be a sensation, but it isn't always a sensation. You may want it to be a sensation. It may be a sensation, but it isn't always that way. Breathing, in a way, is the whole interchange of of experiential energy where one's where there's a sense of real of presence to it and it expresses itself in bodily terms 
expresses itself in more emotive terms, um, uplift, gladness, uh, and their and their and their contraries when it's afflicted. So a breath with worry is not is not the same as a breath with breathing with gladness. It doesn't mean there's no no breathing. Worrying breath, worrying breath is is sort of very shaky and fuzzy and murky. So there's a section of Urapanasati where one deliberately contemplates the the uh, resonances associated with the breathing, the sense of, uh, of piti, sukha, brightness. That's that's when the when the when the uh, samadhi is established. It's like that, and these uh, experiences themselves tend to help dissolve the the separateness of the of the observer because something that's uh, like uh, emotive rather than conceptual is much more was much more powerfully involved and affected by that. It's difficult to really get to uh, uh, get separate from it. You you become that. You, you it moves through you, it suffuses. So this is this is really the, the what the the threshold of, of samadhi is where to be able to, to come to that quality, abide in it, and uh, trust it. Trust it just to be a moment at a time, you know, without worrying or trying to make it more or being concerned about losing it. That will always mess it up. Well, the confidence that it gives rise to, in the sense of, of, of um, is one of the main features of that, in that you actually feel a quality of, of, of buoyancy. Um, and it's, it's not come through uh, in such a controlled way. It's not like you know, they're holding it together, it's they're holding you. This is one of the... the uh, Crucial factors of of, of piti sukha. It, it holds you. You're in it. And then within that, the, the the sense of the unification of what seemed to be separate: the heart and the mind. So there's the body, and 
the breath come united, the heart and the mind become united, and then the, the whole lot gathers together, the mind and the body, or the heart, mind and the body, breath, collecting together. So it's this gradual um, taking down the boundaries where where we get the experience of samadhi as a complete um, holistic uh, awareness. Then all these things are then in that when the, that means that what's experienced is, is not you can't you can't make a thing out of it. It's all just aspects of of mind. You know the the sense of attention, the sense of resolve, the quality of of what what seems to be experienced, as well as the quality of what normally one would say is the per, the one who's experiencing it. You know? They're all really in the same the same field, same pond, the same place. This is knowing the mind. Knowing this is all the mind, or the the, the effective sense. And there's a kind of relief because of the... You're not chasing anything or having to hold anything. It's all very light. Gladness of mind. It's all very light, ephemeral, and in in a beautiful balance. It's rather like a, you know, a spider's web. It seems so incredibly light, and yet every piece is holding and supporting everything else. It's that very delicate and gentle. So it's not that the mind is having some experience. The mind is the experience of balance and sensitivity and gentleness. Therefore, it is uh, glad for no reason, <laughs> not because of anything. It's just that's that's the way it always was, really. That's the way it actually is. The mind is, is gladness. Awareness is gladness. It has to be. Is it's that, that willingness to receive things, that, that which is the, you know, the primary sense of this um, you know, awareness as a conscious in, in terms of consciousness, in terms of being in a conscious state, being in a, a place where we receive impressions. There's some sense of willingness. Uh, awareness is willing to receive things. It's, it's out there to receive things. It has its own uh, gladness, like a like a willing host. Mm. The way that a host is willing to to receive things. Of course, the picture gets changes because the host eventually gets a bit fed up with the, the guests are loud and boorish and smash the place up and keep their boots on and get drunk and. Curse and insult. <laughs> Host is no longer quite so glad anymore. <laughs> so, the, you know, the, the awareness gets gets kind of bitter and tense and protective and confused. But still, it's still the host. You can't shake that off. You know, everything is received, isn't it? 
reluctantly or through various screening things, but still you still receive it. And so with samadhi, what we're doing, really just cleaning up the guests. <laughs> As you meditate, you get their boots off, behave themselves, sit quietly, come in and out in an orderly fashion, and the host can be glad again. And he recognises, and the host recognises, well, we're all guests, actually. That's even more glad, because he doesn't have to own the place. The, the lightness of being, rather than the, the intensity of it, or the great meaning of it, or the great purpose of it, you know, or the and then next of it, just the, the lightness of, of being. This is something the, the Buddha, when he talked about Anapanasati, called it like the ambrosial couch. Like a, a beautiful, uh, sweet, fragrant place to to relax in. These are the, these are the kind of terms he used. If you look in the uh, Sangyutta, the collected discourses on Anapanasati, it's, it's saying this is a place where I don't feel any stress or effort. The body feels good. It's like just a lovely place to be. And this is. Uh, you know, it's wonderful just to bear this in mind, even if it, you know, it doesn't seem that way. It's, why is it becoming you know, intense or hard or got to work this out? Or, you know, how good am I doing? And we always, you know, like you graduate. So just to be breath in a body. One breath in, in, in a physical form. One air flow. Uh, one inhalation. One sense of the, of the body pulling air in. One sense of the body letting air go. One sense of the body feeling slightly energized. One sense of the body feeling slightly relaxed. So building, building it up. So that one does really receive that, that, the breathing. And the receiving is the essential um, fun, the root quality of awareness, is its, re, is its receptivity, that's what it is to be aware. From that, then of course, you know, there can come along the, what's the secondary, which is now you know, navigate, motivate, decide, determine, but the primary quality is, is receiving. You know. If you're determining and navigating before you even receive what you're, what you're supposed to be determining and navigating, it's like you know, waving the bride on the saddle in the air with no horse. <laughs> you haven't actually, you know, the, the horse hasn't come out of the stable yet. And so the, again, when we have these, these strategies in mind or on the back of the mind for for meditation, for anapanasati, and so on. Just, just coming back to the simplicity of just receiving the breath, the foggy breath, the sort of rather tatty bit of breath, a little sort of splayed knee pony, not a horse. Um, but getting the, okay, the receptivity moment of time, and then the mood that goes along with that, 
So can we be aware of, uh, you know, this is the mood associated with, with doubt or inquiry, or can't be bothered, or it's too difficult, or, you know, it's not fun. And uh, receive those. These are not ones that we wish that are going to take us anywhere good. We follow those long enough to know they don't take us anywhere good. But you don't have to start a tribunal either. It's just, you know, these ones don't go to a good place. So then that's your first sense of discrimination. It's just that. Letting go. Letting go just to, to, to the breathing, to the uprightness of awareness. It's its beautiful presence, its ability to receive time and time and time and time and time and time and time again, as long as it goes, lifetimes. Mm. It's going to be there. You can't get away from it. And when one you, know, you make the host generous enough uh, and take refuge in that. It's going to be a place that more and more that the guests would like to listen to. It's got something good to offer. And they'll begin to come into, into line. Whereas the host is always getting upset and uh, you know, laying down rules and setting out schedules for everybody to follow. And uh, unless the guests are already well, well tamed, you know, they get rather uppity. So a moment at a time, and then being being the knowing, what it is to know, not not to think, but just just to. I can sense this. How does that happen? Is there any experience of receiving anything? What is it now? It's that tingling sensations in the head and then the pull and flow of breathing. One breath coming up, making the head feel stronger or brighter. How does that happen? So the more specifically we were able to make a reference. The more beautiful it becomes, the more powerful it becomes. Rather than just half an hour of breathing in and out, or an hour of breathing in and out. Where is it now? And you stay on that, that fine, fine line in the present moment. And there's always something beautiful that's being said. Something beautiful being said somewhere. This is the forbearance. This is the wanting to do right. Which is beautiful. As a, as a, as an urge, as an in, as an instinct to want to do right. As a worry, of course, it's it it goes sick. But as an instinct to, to do what's, what's right, to be clear, 
rather than as a uh, judgment on how right or clear I am. It, it's a very beautiful thing. And so one, you, ch- you cherish that rather than try to make it into uh, something that, that is myself. <coughs> it's moment at a time. <coughs> 